The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. This is God's word for us this morning. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found. For they are blameless. Well, let's go before the Lord today as we seek his help. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have given us your word. You have given us promises that we can hang on to. And Lord, I really need your help to be able to preach this. Lord, it will not even touch our hearts or our minds unless you are doing the work of planting the seed of your word in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that this seed will grow to be fruitful, bearing fruit for your glory for all eternity. I pray now, Lord, that you speak to us through your word in your name. Amen. As more and more pressure from the culture, media, Governments, work, friends, and even family members intensifies to cause us to compromise the gospel and its call as more and more new and old false teachings about Jesus from so-called Christian leaders are coming to popularity as more and more threats and violence are growing against the people of God and as more and more darkness seems to have taken over the minds of more and more people, where do we find the power to endure in faithfulness to the gospel and its call, no matter the cost? Where do we find the power to endure in faithfulness to the gospel and its call? The cost uh, may be great. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your relationships. It may cost you your lifestyle. And it may cost you your actual life. So where do we find this power? To endure in faithfulness to the gospel and its call, no matter the cost. Uh, What we are facing today is the same issue that John saw the church facing. And so to encourage the church... We are given a heavenly perspective of God's people. 
We are given a heavenly perspective of the reality of God's people. This is the already but not quite yet sense. This is our reality now, but we are also moving towards this. We are on the way to this heavenly perspective. So this morning, I'd like us to see four, four points from our text that will help us find the power to endure in faithfulness to the gospel no matter the cost. First, I'd like us to see the safety of believers secured in the Lamb. The safety of believers secured in the Lamb. The second thing I'd like us to see is the worship of believers sourced in the Lamb. The worship of believers sourced in the Lamb. Number three, I'd like us to see the key of believers sustained in the Lamb. The key of believers sustained in the Lamb. And number four, the faithfulness of believers shown in the Lamb. The faithfulness of believers shown in the Lamb. So we're going to see the safety, the worship, the key, the faithfulness of believers in the Lamb. So in the past three weeks, we have seen the enemy of the people of God and the dangerous threats and violence he causes to them. So to better taste and to anticipate the safety we have in Jesus, we will take one look again at this dragon. We saw that he is a divisive dragon to the brothers. Uh, He is an accuser day and night to the people of God. Uh, We saw that he is a dangerous dragon with great wrath. He will not be kind in his attacks on the people. Of God. And we see that he uses two beasts. The first beast is illustrated as a dominant government that's corrupt and has gone bad, and he will use that government to conquer believers and blaspheme the name of God. The second beast is illustrated as deceiving Christian leaders who look like a lamb, but they speak like a dragon with the purposes of having the believers compromise the gospel and its call. I mean, what we ultimately saw from chapters 12 to 13 was a great delusion from this dragon and his two beasts, and that was the false trinity. We saw the the dragon, he gave his authority to the first beast, like how the father gives his authority to Jesus. Uh, We saw that the first beast was raised from the dead, like Jesus was raised. He had a mortal wound and he was healed. Uh, We saw that the second beast glorifies the first beast. The second beast glorifies the first beast, like how the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. We also saw the false mark and name. We saw a mark given to people, and and what the name represents was incomplete. It was false and imperfect. It was 666. And we also saw that if you did not compromise the gospel in its call, you were killed. Your, abil- your ability to buy and sell is denied. And you were seen and treated as enemies. This dragon isn't playing softball. He is not playing tag, you're it. He is playing hunter. And he is hunting us. He hates us. Uh, he'll use guilt over us. He'll use bad governments. He'll use Christian leaders. He'll use your friends and family members. He will use absolutely anything to get you to stop believing and following Jesus Christ. 
And every day that goes by, we see this growing more and more intense. And the pressure is climbing. So, after John gets these visions, he turns his eyes towards heaven and he sees the Lamb. He sees the Lamb. Let's read verse 1 again. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. Stop right there. The first thing John wants us to see is the place where this vision is taking place. Mount Zion. Uh, John's eyes move from the earth where the dragon and his beasts are persecuting, threatening, and killing the people of God. And his vision shifts to the heavenly hill where God has set his king. Let's see what it says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. God is speaking. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Note that where a king is set, his kingdom is there as well. And here we see that the king has, set, has been set by God. No one can unset what God has set. And no one can set what God has not set. So who is this king that is standing on Mount Zion? Who is this king that is standing? Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Throughout the book of Revelation, we saw various titles of Jesus. And here they are. We saw Jesus. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. He is the first and the last. He has the keys of death and Hades. He died and is alive forevermore. He is the one who has perfect knowledge of his church. He has the sharp two-edged sword. He is the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. He is the Amen, the only one worthy to take the scroll and open it. He is worshipped by heaven. He is worshipped by heaven. And John uses the title for Jesus standing on the mountain, the Lamb. And in other portions of the book, we see the lamb who was slain. We see the lamb. Does your hearts warm with affection when you hear about the lamb? This is a direct contrast from the second beast in chapter 13 that looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. Here we have the true lamb. It's much more comforting than a beast and a dragon. <laughs> the lamb is much more approachable. So why would John use this title for Jesus? You know, some might think, how is a lamb to stand in front of a dragon? Right? He uses this title because this is how Jesus defeated the dragon. When Jesus first came to the earth, he didn't come with a rod of iron. He came as a lamb of God to take away our sins. He lived a perfect life. And like a lamb in the old days, he was without blemish. No wrong was found in him. He then died as a sacrifice for our sins. He was a substitute for his people. 
And it is his blood that washes away all our sins and makes us right with God. But notice also about this lamb. Notice the posture of the lamb. He writes, on Mount Zion, what? In verse 1, stood the lamb. I love this. So as John is gazing towards Mount Zion, he sees the lamb standing. The lamb isn't dead. He rose from the dead and he remains alive. This should give us great comfort because it means that God has accepted his sacrifice. And if we trust in Jesus, one day we will rise again. Now that we see the lamb standing on Mount Zion, the next two words should draw up even more comfort. What's the next two words after stood the lamb? The next three words. <laughs> and with him. Oh. Just think about it. Isn't it amazing that where Jesus is, we will be with him? Where is a safer spot in the entire universe if it's not with him? So who are these who are with him? Who are these that are with this resurrected true lamb? That's the, it's God's king. It says, well, it is these that are with him. With him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. The 144,000 that we see here, we've met before in chapter 7. And we discovered that this is the complete number of God's people. That each believer is intimately known and measured by God. We saw that they are a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. This is us in the already but not yet sense. In heaven, we see that the 144,000 is with Jesus in heaven, but we are with Jesus here now. This means that your eternity is safe as Jesus is alive. It also means that if the lamb is not standing, we're not going to stand as well. To bring us great comfort to know that our eternity is safe. Our eternity is safe. Isn't it amazing that the number is still 144,000? After seven chapters of judgment and tribulation, God has not lost one person. Just imagine for a moment if John wrote, 143,000 were with a lamb. <laughs> or even worse, 100. What about even more devastating? 143,999. Oh, we lost one. No. God keeps every one of his followers with him. This is our final home. We're going to be with him, all of us together. Not one person will be lost. 
That is that number, 144,000. But how do we know that this group is set apart as God's people, indicating that they belong to him? How do we know that these are special you know, kind of group of people? It says, with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This is another direct contrast from chapter 13's Mark of the Beast, which was given to people who worshipped the beast and in doing so had the freedom to buy and sell and live a normal life. We are marked with the name of Jesus and his father, the name of the triune God. This is... If you have the mark of the name of God on your forehead, then rejoice. You belong to him. You belong to him. You know, at home, each one of my family members, we have a a pill container that holds all our vitamins. And each one of our containers has a name for each family member written to indicate that, hey, don't don't touch my vitamins. That belongs to me. And the kids love doing that. This is mine, (laughs) not yours. In the same way, God is showing all of heaven that we belong to him. In the same way, God is showing all of heaven that you belong to him. He's writing his name on your forehead. He's writing your name, his name on your forehead. So we saw the dangers that believers are facing on earth. This is such a reality here in our life. Uh, With constant pressure to compromise the gospel and the call of the gospel. Or live an extremely difficult life. or, Or pay death, right? And we also saw the first step to find the power to endure and remain faithful. And that was to behold the Lamb. And see that all believers are with him. And that they are marked with his name. Does that bring safety (laughs) to your eternity? So now that we saw the safety and security that Jesus has for us, now let's hear the worship that is going on in heaven. Let's read verses 2 through 3. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. John hears wonderful praise and joyful worship in heaven. The first thing John the first thing that John wants to draw our attention to is the unity of the voice from heaven. He writes, a voice. Well, th- this voice was made up out of 144,000. No number that anyone could count, but it's a voice. Singular. They are all in agreement. And they all lift their voices together. Number two, the second thing that John wants to draw our attention to is the source of this voice. A voice from where? Where does he hear this, joy, uh, this voice from? From heaven. From heaven. The voice is coming from heaven, and in a way, we are part of it now, and we will be a part of it in the future. You know, we, we sang outside. It was beautiful. Because that's a small taste of what we are 
going to see with all of God's people, all singing the same thing, giving glory to the Lamb. It's heavenly worship. It's heavenly worship. The third thing that John wants to draw our attention to is the vastness of this voice. Like the roar of many waters. This voice was, is wide in range and depth. All sorts of voices, both high and low. <laughs> it sounded like massive waterfalls, you know, like... This alludes to many nations, tribes, and peoples, different languages, but same message. That everyone has their language that they speak, but together they're singing in one voice to heaven. And it sounds like the roar of many waters, the vastness of this voice. The fourth thing John wants to draw attention to is the power of this voice. It sounds like loud thunder. This voice is powerful. Whatever they're talking about is powerful enough to grab the attention of the whole universe. Power. Loud thunder. The fifth thing John wants to draw our attention to is the beauty of this voice. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. It's relaxing. And during my sermon prep, I was listening to harp music. It's kind of counterproductive. <laughs> it's relaxing, it's calm, it's beautiful, it's melodic. But one thing about harps that I find to be interesting, you don't take harps to war. <laughs> Imagine. You're not using harps to rally up the troops. You use harps in the victory song after the battle is won. So what is the voice doing? <laughs> is the voice talking? Is it whispering? Is it screaming? What is the voice doing? The sixth thing John wants to draw your attention to is that they were singing. Isn't it amazing that Christians have great reasons to sing and worship the Lord even in the midst of trials and tribulation? That even though the world is the way it is and it's getting worse, that we still have reasons to sing. The seventh thing John wants to draw our attention to is the audience. Uh, they were singing before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. We have seen the same audience before. This is the throne room in heaven. This song is worthy enough to be sung in front of the audience of the throne room of God. So now we have set the stage. What, what song are they singing about? <laughs> what song are they singing? And the eighth thing John wants to draw your attention to is the exclusiveness of this song. He writes, No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth. The no one here is not talking about within heaven and God's people. The contrast here is between those who have been redeemed from the earth. So those who are, have not been redeemed cannot learn this song. 
Uh, you need to be redeemed in order to know this song. And we heard this song before in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. This is the lyrics of the song they were singing to Jesus. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The song is about the lamb who was slain. And by his blood he purchased a people for God. Huge contrast from the beast. (laughs) The beast is willing to kill those who will not worship him. Where the lamb here is being worshipped for being killed in order to redeem a people for himself. The beast will kill you if you didn't worship him. But the lamb is being praised and sung about because he was killed for us. Vast difference. So the only ones who are singing this song are those who have experienced the redemption in their own lives. This song is not exclusive to one group of race, right? Not, uh, not exclusive to one uh, class or where you are in society, your title. It's not exclusive to that. It's not sung in one language. It's not exclusive that secret. It's not secret. We just read the lyrics. <laughs> Notice also, um, it is exclusive to the redeemed people of God throughout the ages, that all believers from before and now and future will be able to sing this song, those who have been redeemed by God. Notice that in verse 3, it is the present participle singing. They were singing, meaning this song of our gospel can be sung for all eternity, and it will feel just as new as it was when we first started singing it. It's continuously fresh. We can always sing it, and it's a new song. This is uh, talking about the openness of Jesus to come and be saved again and again and again and again. and again. Throughout all time, people can come to Christ, and it's the same song. It's his blood that ransomed them. It's his blood that ransomed them. It's his blood that ransomed them. So uh, when we think about our gospel and the Lamb who was slain for our sins to redeem us, we ought to be moved to singing about it, right? And that's what's so amazing about every Sunday. (laughs) We are singing about it. We sang the song, uh, Your blood washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Wow. When we gather to sing, we are getting a small taste of this joyful worship until we are face-to-face with the Lamb and join the entire choir of heaven in worship for his blood shed on the cross to redeem us. So now we saw the safety believers have in the Lamb. We saw the joyful worship that is erupting in heaven for the Lamb. Now what is the key? How do you secure our safety And how do you unlock this joyful worship? And that is found in verse 4. Verse 4c. 
It says this, these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. The word I would like us to zero in on or to focus on is redeemed. Redeemed. What enables the believers to find eternal safety and be joyful in worship and to endure in faithfulness to the gospel and its call is this word redeemed. What what does redeemed mean? Redeemed means to buy, to gather from. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 says, You are not your own, for you were, what? Bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. God made a purchase. Again, we'll talk about it one more time. What was the cost to redeem this group? Revelation 5.9. If we sang it, it is the blood. Revelation 5.9. It's not there. Okay, it says, you were slain, and by your blood, you ransomed people for God. So in order for God to buy you, Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. He redeemed a people from the unredeemable. He redeemed a people from the unredeemable. You notice that where he bought us from, it says that we were redeemed from mankind. What does the Bible say about mankind? Let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the Bible looks at mankind as children of wrath. Uh, They were dead in their trespasses and sins. A sinful group of people. They follow the course of this world. They're not following the Lamb. That mankind is this Children of wrath. Wrath is coming for them. But instead, we, we, we're reading about God redeeming a people from this group. And the price that he paid was his son, the Lord Jesus, dying on the cross. How are the people of God differentiated from mankind? Like in today, when we, we don't, like we said last week, this is a spiritual mark of his name written on our foreheads. It's not a physical mark. So we're living in this world. How is it that we can differentiate between Christians and non-Christians? Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 13 through 14. In him, Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were, what? Sealed with the promised, what? Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit works as like a seal. It's a guarantee. It's a down payment that one day it's going to be fully redeemed. That you belong to God. This Holy Spirit will never leave you. Uh, we see that it's, it's, the name is written on your head for all eternity. This is the key for finding eternal safety and joyful worship. Because we didn't deserve, we didn't deserve to be redeemed. We deserved much worse. But God has given us a free gift of grace to be redeemed and to enjoy him forever. And we just found out this morning by Pastor Matt that this grace is not just a little item that he gives you. It's his person. It's Jesus. He, this free gift of grace to be redeemed and to enjoy him forever. Since we have the Holy Spirit as our seal. And as we experience this grace, it moves us to joyful worship. So now that we saw the key that could bring us eternal safety and could inspire us to be joyful in song no matter the situation, now we also find the key in the key, the motivation to be faithful to the gospel and its call no matter what. Okay? Verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So John tells us more about this people of God who are with him. Number one, they are not willing to compromise the call of the gospel. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Uh, this speaks to the sexual integrity of believers, uh, even under the cultural pressure to give in and compromise the call of the gospel. They will remain faithful. We believe as Christians that sexual integrity is only found in marriage between one man and one woman. No matter what the culture is trying to do with redefining what is clear in Scripture, the people of God will not compromise and they will continue to live out their obedience to the one who has redeemed them. This is how the Bible talks about sexual integrity in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to, what? Control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That, one transgress, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in what? Holiness. 
Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but who? God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So those who have the Holy Spirit of God will walk in a way of sexual integrity. I mean, this is one of the big things in that time, was to be sexually immoral. The Bible fights against that. We must fight against that in our own lives. We must learn how to control our own bodies. That we abstain. Abstain means to stay away from it. Keep off of it. How? To control your own body in holiness and honor. And the contrast there is that those people who do that, they, they don't know God. They don't know God. You see, it's the fact that we know God that we are able to do this. Well, we are with a lamb, and we are able to do this. Our minds fill with what the lamb does and sing about it so that we are able to maintain the call of the gospel. If we continuously maintain what the lamb has done for us to redeem us, it would motivate us to continue to walk with sexual integrity. Number two, they are not willing to compromise the gospel. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. This speaks to the truth of the gospel and the truth of the song that they are singing about the redemption. Notice that they are before the throne. And being before the throne, it says that they are found blameless. Which tells us when they are singing about Jesus shedding his blood uh, to, pay for, for, to pay for our sins, that song is true. See, this group is singing about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins before God, and the Bible says they're found blameless. If it were not true, they could not sing that song before the throne. So what made them blameless? What made them blameless? What made them without fault? Verse, uh, Colossians 1.22 says, Colossians 1.22 says, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So what was it? Jesus, he reconciled us in his body by his death. Jesus had to die in order for this to work like this. And in, in him dying, we are found blameless. He presents us blameless. So when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he paid for our sins. But, not only, uh, but he not only paid for it, right? He washed us clean and made us blameless before him. Uh, we gave Jesus our sin. We gave him our shame. We gave him our blame and our guilt. He dies for it to satisfy God's justice. And in return, we receive his righteousness. We receive his righteousness, which makes us blameless. Notice also that the believers of God here in heaven, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Notice their devotion, their love for the Lord Jesus. They continuously want to be next to him. They can't get enough of him. They know of nowhere else to go. 
Because what gives them safety and joy is found here in Jesus. So what do we do when we find faithlessness in our life? What do we do when we find ourselves under pressure to compromise? We must quickly turn and behold the standing lamb. Look at the lamb. We must remember his sacrifice for our sins. It is his blood that ransomed us. We must get together with other believers and sing the truth about God. We must know that he is kind like a lamb. And he has already marked you for himself. And he will not lose you. We must go to him and embrace him and join the song of his redemption. If being away from the Lord Jesus makes you comfortable, you must examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. But if you're not a believer, but you are hearing his voice calling you to himself, the Bible says today is a day for salvation. Come to him now and be saved. Put your trust in the lamb who was slain for our sins and keep pursuing him. May you be sealed with his name written on your foreheads. So behold now the standing lamb who was slain to redeem us. Let your hearts be filled with the joy of the gospel. May you draw from the gospel the power to endure in faithfulness, no matter how much pressure is put on us to compromise. And may our testimony be eternally glorifying to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray before God. Lord, thank you for your promises. We thank you for this heavenly perspective for your people. It could get so easy to be distracted. It could be so easy to lose sight of it. It could be so easy to be drawn away from the people of God and be hiding and alone. And we find ourselves to be in sin. We thank you, Lord, for these truths that you are the Lamb. You, you died on the cross and you paid for our sins. That you've written your name on our foreheads before the foundation of the world and that we're going to be with you for all eternity. Lord, I pray that these truths will be pressed on our hearts today. I pray, Lord, that we would remember it as we go on. I, remember, I, I pray, Lord, that we would remember it as we're together, as the family of God, that we're, as we're singing about this one truth that makes us the family of God the blood of the Lamb. I thank you, Lord, for, for giving us your word today. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.